listening to audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit twinvillageschurch.org. Now, as a pastor, it is my amazing privilege to proclaim God's word, and I have been given the opportunity to do that this morning. So allow me to pray, and then we will dive in. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. And we thank you for your plan of redemption through your Son, Jesus Christ. What an amazing opportunity it is that we have to be gathered here together to hear from your word, to hear about what you are doing in other parts of the world, and how we are to apply both the truth of your word and the need for around the world into our own lives. And Father, I pray that I would be a clear vessel, a clear conduit uh, through you to speak. May you receive all the glory this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but sometimes, and we've, we've experienced this in the last few years now, Christian living is kind of hard. There's been some events that have happened, and it's a little tricky. It's a little tricky because, you know, the Bible seems like it has a lot of, a lot of rules. It has a lot of things that we are supposed to live up to. I just wish, man, if there was some secret manual, if there was some secret course, some class at school I could take, if there was a secret serum like Captain America I could just inject into my body and have all the knowledge and the ability to live this Christian life, I wish I could do that. Now, hypothetically speaking, use your imaginations and let's pretend, you know, you've heard about this place called New England Bible College or Grace Evangelical Seminary. And you say, oh, you know, I was looking online, and oh, they have this class. This class is being offered called uh, Advanced Walking. The only manual you will ever need for walking with Christ. Oh, that's perfect. If I could just take that class, if I could pass that class, oh, then I, I could know what it means to walk with Christ, and I could have hope and confidence. Wouldn't it be great if there was that secret serum or manual well, fortunately for us, as simple people, we do have that amazing manual, and that is found in our text this morning in Ephesians chapter 5. So if you would turn in Ephesians chapter 5, whether you have a hard copy of God's Word or a digital copy, Ephesians chapter 5. And I want to start reading in verse 1, but the main text will happen in verse 15. So while you're turning, Ephesians 5 verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. 
Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And here is our main passage for this morning. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So here in Ephesians chapter 5, we have this idea, this contrast painted for us of walking as a child of darkness versus walking as a child of light. At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So we have this idea, as it says in Colossians 3, of this new self versus the old self. Of the old flesh versus the new flesh. Child of light. Do you realize that Matthew 28 is not the only great commission passage in all of Scripture? I love in Isaiah 49.6 where it says this, talking about the suffering servant, who we ultimately know will be the Savior. He said this, I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Beautiful picture. In Titus chapter 3, for we ourselves were once foolish, we were led astray, but he saved us according to his own mercy. So we have this contrast, and it's in this contrast that we have to look, in verse 15, carefully. Look carefully how you walk. There needs to be a diligent study, investigation of how we're walking. So again, by God's grace, there are rewards and there are blessings for those who are enrolled in this advanced walking program. But there are three realities that we have to look at about this program that must be weighed and understood before starting out. So we need to investigate these three realities. The first one is that advanced walking is for the committed. Advanced walking is for the committed. You and I can only know God's will, as it says in verse 17, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We can only know his will, his plan, his purpose for our lives. We can only be that light that the suffering servant has made us to be by committing to being students of the word that makes us wise. Again, carry this thought process. The idea of being a student. Remember back to whatever level of school you were last in. It took an investment of time. Now, maybe your parents forced you to be in school, in high school. Uh, but you did have to study enough to pass. You had to weigh the cost of do, do I pass or do I fail. So we have to commit to this. Now, this idea of commitment stands in open contrast to that idea of being distracted. And distraction is being immature. So advanced walking is for the committed, but the distracted Christian has issues. So again, that question that I raised, what are there in your life as far as barriers, obstacles? What are the enemies of commitment that we face? What are the obstacles that we construct that stand in the way of our commitment to fully walking with the Lord? Here's some uh, here are some ideas, perhaps. Laziness. I don't really feel like that today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang out here. I'm pretty comfy. I don't want to do that. Uh, maybe ignorance of our own sin and pride. You know, we have that 
illustration of scripture where we fail to see the massive log protruding out of our own eye. Instead, we want to nitpick the speck in our brother's eye. Jealousy. Oh, I don't, I don't have an amazing singing voice, so I don't think I'm going to serve and walk with the Lord that way. Or I don't have the amount of time or charisma that that person has. So, you know, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to do it. Or clinging to the cares of this world. There's a lot of cares of this world that distract and demand our attention. Popularity, acceptance, inclusivity, tolerance, social justice, distractions, and it's immaturity. And the Apostle Paul speaks to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, which by, if you want to turn there, you can. By the way, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is a much debated passage of Scripture. We're going to get into it just a little bit here. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says this. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready. You were not able to receive it. For even now you are not yet ready. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Verse 16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? He is addressing in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Christians. He says also in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he's talking to Christians. He says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. But the cares and the snares of the world are still evident in their life, despite the fact that there is spiritual fruit being born. He says in the beginning of the, of the book of 1 Corinthians, I thank God for the grace of God at work in you. So they have momentary issues that they are struggling with as a church, but there is hope that they will repent, that they will recommit, they will refocus. What's so important to note here is that repentance is not a once-and-done moment. Repentance is a lifelong commitment and a spiritual discipline. Repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. Two sides of the same coin that are marks of a true child of God. And these people here in Corinthians, they were currently immature. They were distracted. And they were not yet able to receive the solid meat of God's truth. They were focused on the world. They were focused on their flesh and of doing and achieving success on their own. We have to beware of this potential danger that is lying so close to us. And that's why verse 15, Paul says, look carefully how you walk. Because there is danger in distraction, in immaturity, in lethargy. Because the devil is so actively at work in his mission of deception. And one of his biggest deceptions upon the evangelical church today is the false doctrine of the carnal Christian. The false doctrine of a carnal Christian that says that a Christian can backslide and live a life in sin. But who's secure? Oh, it's perseverance of the saints, but without the true knowledge of God's holiness and man's utter depravity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is not saying, he is not saying that the Corinthians' lives were characterized by carnality as a whole. 
These were not people living in sin and rebellion to God, but who had professed salvation. They were people with new hearts who were producing authentic spiritual fruit. But like all believers at times, they were struggling with various areas of their life. And it was affecting the church. And they needed to progress in their sanctification. Missionary and pastor Paul Washer addressed this issue with this statement. The doctrine of the carnal Christian is sending more people. It has destroyed more lives and is sending more people to hell than we can imagine. The doctrine of the carnal Christian is sending more people to hell than you can imagine. Because there is a massive difference between immaturity and carnality. The truly carnal the one who is consigned to oblivion. This is the danger. If your life is marked by being a lazy, immature, distracted Christian, then you might in fact be a non-Christian. Here, here are some signs to look for. Do you have a life lived in disobedience? Open, inward rebellion to authority, to God's word? Is your life marked by not attending or participating in the fellowship of the church? Do you not sing, give, listen, attend other opportunities to fellowship? Do harsh words and condescension portray the manner of your speech? Are you judgmental? Are you haughty? Are you prideful? Do you justify your own sin? Do we lean on our own understanding? Do we focus on political, social issues instead of the gospel? Do we have a lack of guilt and remorse for sins that we commit? Do we have a lack of biblical understanding of man's depravity and God's utter holiness and the massive gap between them? Or do we believe, do we teach a false gospel that either adds or subtracts from the words of God? Those are some signs that we should look out for. And the issue here is that the true Christian will be profoundly aware of how great God is and how wretched he is. And there will be a battle against sin's temptation. But the desire through that battle should be always to see God's name glorified. Repentance and faith will mark that daily battle. John MacArthur said that every Christian falls short of God's standards and will sometimes fall into sin and indifference. But he cannot be continually content in such a state because the experience of sin and indifference will be in a constant struggle with his new nature. Paul said this in Romans 7, nothing good dwells in me. It is a struggle. It is a battle. But being an immature Christian who is always giving in to sin cannot become a lifestyle or it will prove the lack of genuine faith and salvation. For there will be evidence in the truly converted Christian of fruit. There will be fruit of growing resistance to sin. Am I different today than I was yesterday? Am I different in 2021 than I was in 2020? Am I a different person? Is my life marked with more fruit, with more repentance and faith, and more remorse for the sin that I still commit? R.C. Sproul, if a person manifests a life of pure and consistent carnality, he is no Christian. He has not the Spirit of God living in him. It is a flat impossibility to be born of the Spirit and have no change. 
Keep in mind, this is in contrast to what it means to be a committed Christian. And this is the issue. This is the tension. Because as Paul said in Romans chapter 8, those that are born according to the flesh cannot please God, for they have set their minds against God. A truly carnal person who is truly consigned to oblivion has a mind that is focused on the desire to satisfy the indulgent cravings of the flesh. And these people cannot please God. Why? Because he has not justified them. He has not declared them righteous. And he does not see them as his children. This is above and beyond a season or a moment where you and I might struggle. This is a heart condition. And walking with Christ is not for that person. Because these people might even know the gospel. They might have been shown who Jesus is, but still they stand in direct opposition and hostility to the free gift of grace. We know in scripture, there will be individuals that come before the Lord and they will say, Lord, Lord, and he's going to say, I never knew you. The importance of that double statement, Lord, Lord, they knew what to say. They knew what ought to be believed, but it was not a changed heart. And God said, I never knew you. That is dangerous ground. And that is the world we live in. The danger is that the doctrine of the carnal Christian will assure these individuals that they are saved. And thus we will cease to present to them the gospel. And the need for repentance and faith. And they will continue to live the life and the way that they are living because they have been deceived and assured that because they said a prayer, they're all set. Because I made a decision, because an evangelist gave an altar call, or my youth pastor told me when I was 15 years old that I was a Christian. That must mean I am, and I'm all set. Salvation is by what? Faith alone. By God's grace alone. To the glory of God alone. It has nothing to do with a decision that we make. It all has to do with God, as laid out in His Word Alone. That gives me confidence, ultimately, to be honest with you, that it all has to do with God. So that is why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourself. Test yourself to see whether you are in the faith. That idea of testing, using that school analogy, testing, testing. Do we truly believe? Not I believe that the word believe in the New Testament had a much stronger connotation than the way we use it today. The way we use it today is, oh, I intellectually ascend to the fact that that might be true. So, yes, I believe that. But in the New Testament, it carried with it trust and faith and commitment. I believe. And the truly committed Christian understands that they have the one thing. That those consigned to oblivion do not have. And that is the full and complete presence of the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that gives strength and the ability to obey. The truly committed Christian will understand God's will for their lives. He will understand the true mandate to walk with Christ. And they know that the manual that we are about to read... It's only for the genuine child of God. So advanced walking program is for the committed. Secondly, advanced walking requires yieldedness. 
Advanced walking requires yieldedness. <clears throat> walking in step with the Spirit is not an occasional moment of ecstasy or a charismatic experience <clears throat> or a special prayer, <clears throat> excuse me, or one special moment. We have to unwrap this, okay? What it means to yield. And we see here in our text, starting in verse 18, we have a contrast. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. So we have a theological and a moral nuance that we're going to look into real quick. Morally, this is the extreme illustration of pagan worship and fleshly practice. In the, in the city of Ephesus during that time, in Greek culture, they would have services where they would get together and consume so much alcohol so as to better induce an emotional high to truly communicate with their gods. They would have drinking parties to worship. <laughs> we see here a massive contrast. This is almost like a how-to for dummies book where it says what not to do. Don't get drunk with wine. That's foolish. And here we have the theological nuance where we have the key statement to this class. If you don't remember anything else and you have that final exam and you write this down, you will pass the class. And that is be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. That is the secret serum. Without that statement, the rest of the book of Ephesians could have been taken as a code for legalism. So what do you think Paul meant here when he said to be filled with the Spirit? I mean, after all, we've, we've already realized that he's, he's talking to Christians. He's talking to a church who already have the full and complete and dwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. So, so what is he saying? Is he telling them to, to be filled again? And that this filling is a recurring event? No. Because every child of God, upon their justification, is completely filled with the Holy Spirit. We don't need to ask for more spirit. We don't need to long for this divine zap or this charismatic experience. We don't need to hope to be slain in the spirit. Because we have it. The point here is that you and I, according to the original Greek language, are to be being kept filled. Be being kept filled, which literally means to be blown away by. To be permeated, infused with. To be controlled by. And that is yieldedness. Where we have to submit ourselves to the control of the Holy Spirit. Day by day, moment by moment. Paul in Romans chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you might discern what is the will of God, what is pleasing to the Lord. That by testing, Testing your ability to let go of control in your submission. Being transformed, it's a process. It is a process to be being kept filled. Where yes, there is still sin, but by God's grace, may there be less and less. You may know the will of God. For Laura and I, Portugal... Uh, is actually not our first country that we were pursuing. It's not even our second. It's our third. And through this journey, 
God has been amazingly hilarious and amazingly providential and refining and correcting. And one of the things that he really blessed us with, when we're searching after God, what is your will for us? We see this in scripture. We see three things to answer God. What is God's will? His glory through your life. Your sanctification and the building of his church. That's it. That's God's will. How are you with your personal spiritual gift, with your life experience, with your testimony, with your desires for ministry, with your heart and your passions? What are you doing to pursue those three things? Yes, you are in God's will. It's so simple, but man, his glory, my sanctification, the building of his church, that, there is a lot to that. And the only way that we can pursue those is by being kept filled with the Holy Spirit. So instead of seeking this outer body experience or an alcohol-induced state, choose to allow the Holy Spirit to transform and guide you. I love the parallel passage to Ephesians chapter 5, which is Colossians chapter 3. And there Paul says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Because dwelling and soaking in God's word is being filled with the Holy Spirit because the more we fill our minds and our soul with the truth of God's word, the more it will control our thinking and our actions. And then we can walk in love, as it says in Ephesians chapter 5. So why is being filled with the Spirit so important to this program of advanced walking? Because without the Spirit guiding our steps, our destination is not going to be a very happy place. Either we'll miss out on the full potential of heaven's blessings or on the rewards that God does promise here, the joy and the peace that he promises here, or we'll realize when it's too late that we're actually consigned to oblivion. And that is the fact of the matter. If we're not walking with Christ, then quite frankly, God might not choose to use us in ministry. That, that, that's an interesting statement. But if you look through the New Testament, whenever God wants a job done, he chooses those, those that are, quote, filled with the Spirit. We see Stephen, John the Baptist, Zechariah, and in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, at the time of Pentecost, because the believers were at that time first filled with the Spirit, they were able to speak in other languages. And the purpose of that, for God using them in that way, was for the proclamation of the glorious event that had just happened, for the inauguration of the church and because they were filled with the Spirit, they could proclaim the glory and the sovereignty of God in a miraculous way. And then look at Peter. Peter did some pretty amazing things when he was in close proximity. He had so much confidence in Jesus that he walked on water. You realize that in the garden, I think that Peter had so much confidence that Jesus was with him. That gave him the confidence to whip that sword out. He's like, let's do it. Let's go. We got Jesus here. What happened next? As soon as Peter was separated from the presence of Jesus, he denied him three times. Separated from Jesus, Peter was a failure. But fortunately for him, as we see, he got his act together after Jesus ascended to heaven. He was there and he was willing. And on the day of Pentecost, he was among those who received the presence of the Holy Spirit. He realized he never had to be a failure again. So how do we walk? How do you how do I walk? Do we walk timidly? Do we walk with one foot in front of the other? Do we have confidence? 
Do we walk with God's word penetrating our hearts and our minds? Do we walk in repentance, faith, and worship? God demands our all. But he tells us in John 15, 5, that apart from me, you can't do anything. He says to lean on his understanding and trust him in all things. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, we should all know that. <laughs> we should all know that one. But I think that 413 sometimes is taken out of context. Because if we backtrack and we go back to verse 10 of Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. That now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Thus I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The secret is he knew what it meant to be filled with the Spirit. And to allow the word of Christ to dwell in him richly. That is the bulwark of our faith. But we have to yield to the Holy Spirit. So walking with Christ is for the committed. It requires yieldedness. And advanced walking has consequences. Because what is advanced walking? It antagonizes the enemy, for one thing. And it brings warfare. But it produces steadfastness and joy for the Christian soldier. The first consequence that we see about advanced walking, before we get to verse 19, there's a battle. It's a battleground because as we're in the process of dying more and more to our flesh and its sinful desire and temptations, our flesh is the beachhead upon which Satan lands his offensive force of lies and doubts and schemes. So if we're dying to that, it's a battle. We need to fight. And Christianity, just so you know, has been determined by God as frontline warfare. We actually haven't been given a choice. The Great Commission passages don't leave room for if you want to. They say, go and do this now. And if we're committed to this program of advanced walking, then we will be an active participant in God's battle plan of discipleship. I see the Great Commission as God's battle strategy for combating the enemy. Three aspects of the battle strategy. Go. Matthew 28. Now, do you realize that go is not a get up and move to a different geographical location? That's part of it for some people. But it is a call to action. What are you doing here and now to make disciples of all nations? With a focus of evangelism, of discipleship, to lead secondly to the moment of baptism. Where the new child of God has that moment of public, public declaration of their faith. And then thirdly, taking that individual and teaching them. The biggest failure of the church today is to teach sound doctrine. To teach them. It's going to be a battle. And we combat that battle by going, by focusing on baptism and teaching. And the second consequence, verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns. In spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. First of all, this idea of singing and making melody, of this joy lived out, needs to be a personal reality. Where we sing to ourselves as a result of the inward joy we have when walking in step with the Spirit. As we are responding to God's truth, His glory and His grace as it, as, as it is at work in our lives. You know, worshiping God and enjoying Him forever... 
is a great way to combat the flesh. Enjoy God. Worship His name as an individual so that when we come together as a community, when we come together corporately, we can sing to each other as a church in fellowship about what God has done. We sing together about who God is. And together we sing directly to God, ascribing His worth and the glory of His name. We sing the very words of Christ that are supposed to dwell in us richly, prompted by the Holy Spirit. Now, fortunately, the Bible never says anything about our singing having to be in tune. What is supposed to be a joyful noise is unto the Lord from a joyful heart in response to His truth. This is a little bit of a soapbox because most of my adult life I have had the chance to lead worship, so I apologize for that. But why are we commanded to sing? Because singing expresses the emotion of our soul. And that is why we use music in church, because music is the vehicle that drives our emotions. So we can be very powerful when we use that in response to doctrine. Healthy churches know how to worship God as they walk together. You know, God loves music. The Bible talks about it a lot. He even likes it really loud. Not raucous and out of control, but really loud. And singing is commanded, and that is a beautiful consequence of walking together. A third consequence, we see here, verse 20, giving thanks always. Giving thanks. An attitude of thankfulness to God the Father, where there's never a complaint heard, but rather a song of thanksgiving. There is no pride, there is no jealousy, no selfish ambition. Because in every trial and trying circumstance, a Christian who is be being kept filled with the Spirit will rise above the battle and will proclaim with all of his might, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, praise his holy name. An amazing reason to be thankful that God. In Jesus Christ, the fully divine second person of the Trinity of the God had decided to come down to earth to be born in the womb of the Virgin Mary, taking the form of a man, that he might live a perfectly sinless life, that he might live a perfect life of righteousness and obedience to God the Father, that he might die on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins, dying the death that we deserve to die under the wrath and judgment of God. So that he might be buried in the tomb and on three days later rise again, thus breaking the power of sin's life. For he is right now at the right hand of the throne of God, always interceding for you and for me. As our advocate saying to God the Father, he's righteous. She is forgiven because what I have done. And because of that amazing forgiveness, we have a glorious hope that Christ will come again. And will bring his people to himself. That is our hope. Where we will be surrounded by his glory and by his presence. Thus fully eradicating sin's presence. That's the gospel. That's a huge reason to be thankful every day. And if we're focusing on the gospel. If we're focusing on being thankful. Then that last consequence of submitting to one another. Won't be a problem. We won't have conflict. We won't have issues because our life will be characterized by submission to God's authority. Genuine love for brothers and sisters. You want to know what a submissive Christian looks like? Galatians chapter 5. Fruits of the Spirit. Exercise within the church. 
And together, as Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled face are being transformed from one degree of, degree of glory to another. We all, together. And this kind of submission will initiate discipleship and accountability and true community and will inspire the soldiers of Christ to stand together. The advanced walker with Christ will receive the blessings of bringing joy to the Lord and then will return have that joy in his life in abundance. He or she will sing with genuine worship that will characterize him. Thankfulness will characterize him. Submission and genuine sacrificial concern for the well-being of someone else will characterize him. That is what is contagious and that is what will win over hearts for the kingdom of God. So who are we? What fills us? What motivates us? To what do we devote the most of our time and our energy and our passion? Is it walking with right relationship with God? Or is it ourselves, our lusts, worldly pleasures, our opinion of truth and justice? Every Christian ought to be enrolled in this advanced walking program with their certificate of completion being received upon the hearing of the words, well done, good and faithful servant. It's going to take commitment. It's going to require that we're actually standing justified before a most holy God. It's going to require our yieldedness. It will demand that we submit to the presence and guidance of the Holy Spirit daily. And it will bring forth consequences that will stir us up together towards love and good works and will instill in each and every one of us a peace that passes all understanding. Will we graduate with a degree that signifies a committed Christian? Or will we realize when we finish our life that it's too late and we're really those that are consigned to oblivion? Repentance, faith, commitment, submission, the worship of God, these mark the life of the true Christian and these are the testimonies of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Uh, Jesus Christ, we thank you so much for your amazing work that you have done on our behalf. Holy Spirit, we thank you so much for your presence residing in us that oh, reveals our sin, that challenges us, that convicts us, that reveals to us truth and the hidden knowledge that's from the rest of the world. We thank you for your presence. And Father, we thank you so much for your amazing plan of redemption, for your utter holiness, that despite our weakness, you chose to send Christ for us. May that fuel us to worship you. May that fuel us to stand together in ministry and in step with your spirit. So we ask that you would have your way, that you would convict where it needs to be convicted, and that you would bring joy and exuberance where is needed as well. We praise you in the name of the Father, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to this audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others, and for more information about Twin Villages Church, visit twinvillageschurch.org. Soli Deo Gloria.